This morning, we are in a portion of Scripture that engenders a great number of questions in the minds of many, and Lord willing, we'll address a number of those questions at the end of the message. But as we work our way through this passage, we must keep in mind the basic premise as we enter into this study. We must remember why God is removing Saul as king over Israel and why God is refusing to speak to Saul. We have the informing theology of 1 Samuel chapter 15. Let me just remind you of what Samuel says to Saul while Samuel is still alive concerning Saul's behavior. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, And Samuel said, As the Lord is great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. For God had told Saul that he was to slay all of the Amalekites, including the king Amalek, and that all of the cattle were to be destroyed. But, Samuel, but Saul spared the life of Amalek and also the cattle, and said that he was going to offer the cattle in sacrifice. So Samuel says, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. So this premise is that Saul had rejected the word of the Lord. Now, we fast forward and come to the very end of Saul's life. And the theme is that Saul had rejected the word of the Lord, therefore God withheld his word from Saul. Saul had rejected the word of the Lord, therefore God withheld his word from Saul. The key verse is 1 Samuel chapter 28, verse 6. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim, or by prophets. The focal point of the passage is Saul's response to God's unwillingness to answer Saul. What does Saul do when God is unwilling to answer Saul's inquiries? Well, to answer that, first of all, let's look at the background. Last week, we left off with King Achish inviting David to join forces with the Philistines in fighting against Israel, verse 1. In those days, the Philistines gathered their forces for war to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, Understand that you and your men are to go out with me in the army. David said to Achish, Very well, you shall know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, Very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. Then we are reminded of some key elements to help inform the narrative. The first is we are, we are reminded that Samuel had died, verse 3. Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. Now, this had already taken place. This is just a reminder. We're first told of 
Samuel's death back in 1 Samuel chapter 25, verse 1, where it reads, Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him in his house at Ramah. So this is just background information, just so you don't forget Samuel's dead. And then, just so you don't forget, mediums were individuals, uh, were uh, put out of the land. End of verse 3. And Saul had put mediums and the necromancers out of the land. Mediums were individuals who sought to communicate with the dead. Uh, Necromancy is the practice of magic involving communication with the dead, either by summoning their spirits as aspirations, visions, or raising them bodily for the purpose of divination, imparting the means to foretell future events, discover hidden knowledge, or to bring someone back from the dead. So those individuals had already been put out of the land. That's the background for all that's taking place. So now we look at the occasion that prompts Saul to seek the Lord's guidance. Saul finds himself in a place of distress. He's in a desperate situation. The Philistines are readying themselves for a major battle against the Israelites. Verse 4, the Philistines assembled and came and encamped at Shunem. In response to the threat, Saul assembles his army. Verse 4, end of the verse. And Saul gathered all Israel, and they encamped at Gilboa. Now, when Saul sees what he is up against, he's deathly afraid. Verse 5, when Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. Therefore, Saul decides to ask the Lord what he is to do. Verse 5, when Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. Verse 6, and when Saul inquired of the Lord... The Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. Well, that's the basis here. He is afraid. He, he wants to know what he's supposed to do. He asks God, and God is silent. God will not address Saul. So now the question is, what is Saul to do? So Saul seeks the Lord's direction, but the Lord is silent. There was no word from the Lord. According to verse 6, dreams were not a means of God's speaking to Saul. Dreams refers to visions that would come to an individual at night. Saul had no such visions from the Lord. God did not speak through prophets. Prophets were individuals through whom God spoke. The most notable prophet of the time was Samuel, and we know that Samuel had died. The third means was by Urim. This refers to stones that were in the breastplates of the high priest, and the high priest would use these stones to determine the will of God after seeking the Lord's direction. Once again, we must keep in mind that Saul had previously rejected the word of the Lord. 1 Samuel 15, verse 23, For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Saul's rebellion, all the way back in chapter 15, is equated with divination, with wanting to hear from some other god, wanting some other means of direction. Saul is being accused 
of not willing to listen to God. So this is God's judgment. In addition, Saul had killed all the priests of the land. In 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 13, if you remember, when the priest gives guidance to David, Saul is enraged, and Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, and that you have given him bread and a sword, and have inquired of God for him, so that he has risen against me to lie in wait as it is this day? And he kills all the priests at Nob, except for Abiathar, who fled and took the ephod with him. First Samuel chapter 30, verses 7 and 8. We know that Abiathar is with David, and he has the ephod. First Samuel 30, verse 7, And David said to Abiathar to the priest, the son of Abimelech, Bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake him? His answer to him was, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake and she'll surely rescue. My point is that he could not be answered by Urim because the Urim wasn't even with him. Urim was with Abiathar. David was using that means as a way of trying to ascertain what God would have him to do. But because of Saul's defiance, because he had killed off all the priests, that avenue wasn't available to him. He didn't really have much place to turn because of his own sinfulness, because of his own actions. But silence, but Saul will not take silence as an answer. So in verse 7, then Saul said to his servants, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. Now, Saul knows that God is forbidden that his people would seek out a medium. That's evidenced by Saul's having previously removed the mediums from the land, which is told us at the end of verse 3. And Saul had put the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. He had removed those people, or it was sinful for them to be in the land. That was in keeping with the instruction that's given in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 18 says this, When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets dreams or is a sorcerer or charmer or medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead. For Whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For those nations which you are about to dispossess, listen to fortune tellers and diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do this. So this was clearly against what God's word allows. Nevertheless, Saul's men know right where to find a medium. Verse 7, end of the verse, And his servants said to him, Behold, there's a medium at Endor. So Saul consults the medium, but seeks to hide his identity. Verse 8, 
So Saul disguised himself and put on other garments and went. Most likely, he did not want to be known that the king of Israel had stooped to such lows. He doesn't want her to understand who he is. That which Saul formerly denounced, he is now embracing. The woman says to Saul that Saul has prohibited her from doing what he requests. She believes that this is a trap that will result in her death. Verse 9. The woman said to him, Surely you know what Saul has done, how he's cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land. Now this question, why then are you laying a trap for my life to bring about my death? So once again, we're reminded that such activity is forbidden. But through these words, Saul's reminded. Saul's reminded that he's the one who had removed all these individuals from the land. And she says, so why are you laying this trap for me? Now we have an incredible irony. Saul says, may God hold me accountable if I take your life. Look at verse 10. So Saul swore to her by the Lord. Okay, so Saul takes an oath. He swears to her by the Lord. Now remember, when you see the word Lord in all capitals, it's referring to God's name, Jehovah. So literally, Saul says, Jehovah will hold me accountable. Then notice what he says as he continues in verse 10. As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. I swear to you by the living God, he says. I swear unto you by Jehovah that nothing bad is going to happen to you if you do this. Now God had said that she should die. God had said that this is forbidden. And yet, he's going to use God as his witness to say, there's nothing bad going to happen to you. This is incredibly brazen that he is going to pronounce a blessing upon one whom God curses. He's going to say, it's fine. It's fine. It's okay. And may God hold me accountable. If something bad happens to you, well, God certainly is going to hold him accountable. The point is that that he has no fear of God. He, he has no sense of decency or of following the Lord's direction. Now, after having promised that she will live, she asks Saul who Saul wants to talk to. Verse 11. Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up to you? Saul's response is Samuel. At the end of verse 11, bring up Samuel for me. When the woman sees Samuel, the woman screams. Verse 12, when the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. Saul's disguise no longer works. He's revealed. The end of verse 12, and the woman said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. So we begin by asking the question, why did she scream? Well, some of the commentators say because the woman was a fraud, that uh, she had never been able to do anything like this before, and when she actually sees Samuel, it scares the wits out of her. 
that could be the case. Or it could be that when she finds out that it is Saul that she's speaking to, she becomes afraid of Saul, thinking that he's going to kill her, that this indeed is a trap. Why, she screams, we don't know. But we do know in verse 13 that Saul, after having asked her what she sees, her response is a God. Verse 13, the king said to her, do not be afraid, what do you see? The woman said to Saul, I see a God coming up out of the earth. That would seem to indicate that she saw something that she never had seen before. This spirit, this person that is coming up out, out of the ground, she says, this, this, is, this has got to be a God. Well, Saul knows better than that. Saul knows that Samuel, verse 14, he said to her, what is appearance? He said, an old man is coming up and he is wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel. He bowed with his face to the ground and paid homage. So he shows respect for Samuel. Now we have Saul's encounter with Samuel. First, Samuel speaks in verse 15. Then Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me from bringing me up? Samuel is extremely content where he is and bothered that Saul would summon him. Saul's response is, Saul answered, verse 15, I am in great distress, for the Philistines are warring against me. Saul admits that he is flattened by what has occurred. He said, well, I'm in great distress. It, it literally means to be, to be pressed out. It, it means to be flattened. Okay? Uh, he's devastated by this great threat. And to add to his miseries is the realization that the Lord is not helping him. Middle of verse 15. And God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. God won't listen to me. God won't hear my prayers. God won't speak to me in any form or fashion. So Saul is wanting Samuel's help at the end of verse 15. Therefore, I have summoned you to tell me what I should do. Samuel's response is, well, what do you expect me to do? Verse 16. Samuel said, why then do you ask me since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy. Why in the world are you asking me such things when you know that the Lord has already turned against you? What do you expect me to do? Then he goes on to say, this has come to pass because of Saul's refusal to listen to God, just as Samuel had prophesied while he was yet alive. Verse 17. The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me. For the Lord has torn his kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David, as was said in chapter 15. And he goes on to say, verse 18, Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek, therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. This is all in keeping with what I told you was going to happen. This is exactly what is taking place. Because of your disobedience, because of your refusal to listen to the word of the Lord. 
Those words had been the parting words that Samuel had spoken to Saul. They never spoke again. From chapter 15 till now. Or 1 Samuel 15, 35 says, And Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. The day of David's, excuse me, the day of Saul's death. So Samuel hadn't seen him again. That's the last thing that he heard from Samuel. And Samuel just walks off the scene. Samuel just leaves him go. And what's important to understand is that Saul never seeks David's Excuse me, Saul never seeks Samuel's advice again. Through all of the time of pursuing David, through all the time of wars, etc., he's not reaching out to Samuel. It's not until now, after Samuel has died, now Saul wants to hear from Samuel. He didn't want to hear from Samuel while he was alive. Now that Samuel's dead and he has no other recourse, now he wants to hear from Samuel. Now Samuel gives Saul more detail. The Lord will not help him in battle, verse 19. Moreover, the Lord will not give Israel, uh, will give Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. Saul and his sons will be killed, verse 19. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow you and your sons will shall be with me. And the Israelites will be defeated at the end of verse 19. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. Now when Samuel says that Saul and his sons will be with Samuel, what are we to understand by that? Is he simply saying tomorrow you and your sons are going to die? Or is he saying, you will be with me in a place of bliss? How are we to understand you will be with me? Well, the commentators are divided over that particular issue. I said that when I was approaching Saul, as we would work through this narrative, all the way back when we were first introduced to Saul and God giving him a new heart, I said that I was approaching Saul as though he were a saved individual. But it's extremely hard to know whether Saul was a saved individual or not. It's hard to know because there is so much in Saul's life that's inconsistent with a person being a believer. The problem is there's also things in Saul's life that's inconsistent with his being a non-believer, such as the fact that God had given him a new heart. So, arguments can be made both sides. Bottom line is, we really don't know. We don't know whether Saul was a believer or not. I've chosen to kind of take the approach that probably was. I don't know. God knows. God will do what's right. God will make the proper determination. (laughs) We simply don't know. However, Samuel's words certainly do not bring any comfort to Saul. When he says, tomorrow you'll be with me, notice Saul's response, verse 20. 
Then Saul fell at once, full length on the ground, filled with fear because of the words of Samuel. No comfort, no comfort. Uh, He is in fear. Now, Saul's fear is greater than when he started. He started this whole thing because he was afraid. It ends up with him being more afraid than when he started. This turned out worse than Saul imagined. But one must wonder how Saul thought this was all going to turn out. How in the world could Saul have thought this is going to end well? I have been disobedient. I have been refusing to listen to God. God refuses to speak to me. Therefore, I'm going to continue to rebel against God. Now I'm going to go seek a medium, and he says, don't do that. And I'm going to try to find out what I should do. How in the world is any of that going to end up well? Well, sometimes people's thinking is pretty bizarre. And certainly Saul's thinking on this occasion is very bizarre. It turns out worse than he imagined. What's important for us also to keep in mind is Saul is not repentant. One wonders why he sought the Lord at all. Why did he bother to ask what he should do? Or we're going to find that Saul goes out to battle, Saul dies, Saul's sons die. Everything that Samuel said comes to pass. So, why bother? Why bother? Why ask? Or he wasn't going to be repentant anyway. First Chronicles drives that thought home, or there is a summation in First Chronicles of the life of Saul, and it says this, starting with First Chronicles chapter 10, reading at verse 13. So Saul died for his breach of faith. He broke faith with the Lord in that he did not keep the command of the Lord, and also consulted a medium seeking guidance. He did not seek guidance from the Lord. Therefore, the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. That's the summation that First Chronicle gives. And you can say, well, what do you mean? He, he inquired the Lord, the Lord didn't answer. First Chronicle says he didn't inquire the Lord. There's no discrepancy there. It's saying that, that Saul really didn't want to hear from God. Saul wanted to hear what he wanted to hear. But he didn't really want to hear what God told him to do. That's why all the way back, you have that ironical statement in 1 Samuel 15 that rebellion is is the sin of divination. Samuel says to him all the way back in chapter 15, Saul, your rebellious spirit is like divination. You are seeking guidance that you want to have You don't want to listen to what God says. You're rebellious. You're you're seeking another God. You're you're seeking something else to lead and direct in your life. First Chronicles drives that home, and we can see it here in this passage where Saul continues in unrepentance. And then there's this even more striking event that takes place, and that is Saul is comforted by the medium. Verse 20. Then Saul fell at once, full length on the ground, filled with fear because of the words of Samuel, and there was no strength in him, for he had eaten nothing all day and all night. 
Now this medium has compassion on Saul and says that she can relate to Saul. Notice verse 21. The woman came to Saul, and when she saw that he was terrified, she said to him, Behold, your servant, referring to himself, has obeyed you. I have taken my life in my hand. I called Samuel up, and you said nothing bad would happen to me. And have listened to what you have said to me. So, now she encourages him to listen to her. Verse 22, Now therefore, you also obey your servant. I have obeyed you, now you obey me, she says. Notice verse 22, Let me set a morsel of bread before you and eat, that you may have strength, and you can go on your way. Let me give you something to, be, to eat, and you'll be strengthened. All right? You're, you're going to be okay. And you can just go on your way. Now, what really is informative to us is that the word not eaten, when it says in verse 20, where it says, There was no strength in him, for he had not eaten all day and all night. The word there for not eaten in the Hebrew is a word that's often translated as fasting. He's fasting. Jumper Longman in his commentary says, that he probably had not eaten anything due to a fast. Also, the ESV study notes on chapter 28, verse 8, refers to this fast. So we get a picture here that Saul had entered into a fast that day. He refused to eat anything because he was going to be seeking, supposedly, God's instruction for his life. And so he said he wasn't going to eat anything. Now, he gets this terrible news that he doesn't want, and he's terrified, and the medium says, it'll be okay, it'll be okay. Why don't you just eat something? Why don't you just break your fast? Why are you doing that anyway? Initially, Saul refuses to eat, verse 23. He refused and said, I will not eat. But then we find, but his servants together with the woman urged him, and he listened to their words. So he arose from the earth and sat on the bed. What is striking is that Saul listens to the medium when he would not listen to the Lord. Where it says in verse 23, he listened to their words. Saul obeys her when he would not obey the Lord. She says in verse 22, Now therefore you also obey your servant, referring to herself and her words. Back in verse 18, Samuel said, Because you do not obey the voice of the Lord. Don't miss those connections. He wouldn't obey the voice of the Lord, but he obeys the voice of the Lord of this medium. He's fasting. She says, break the fast. She says, just eat a morsel. Just, just eat a tidbit. And then she goes out and slays the fatted calf and makes this dinner that's fit for a king. Says, no, no, I can't eat that. Come on, it's all right, it's all right. Eat it, eat it, eat it. So then he eats it. 
And he strengthened. And he went away that night. It gives us the impression that he's no longer afraid. It gives us the impression that he is satisfied. He simply leaves. What we must keep in mind is that Saul's life is characterized as not keeping God's commands and failing to listen to God's word. Again, 1 Chronicles 10, 14. He did not seek guidance from the Lord. Therefore, the Lord put him to death. The irony, the irony, all the way back in 1 Samuel chapter 15, where Samuel says to David, for rebellion is as the sin of divination. Now you get to this chapter, and he's actually committing the sin of divination. He is seeking guidance apart from God. It all comes home to roost. It shows the validity of God not speaking to Saul and the validity of God removing Saul from being king over Israel. So conclusion. Let me start by dealing with some of the questions that this text can engender. First, did Samuel really come up from the dead? Well, the text states that he did. You look at verse 15. Says then Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? What's important to keep in mind is verse 15 is a statement by the narrator. This is what the narrator of Scripture is telling us. Then Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me and bring me up? So the narrator tells us that Samuel is speaking to Saul, not that some evil spirit not the medium. This is Samuel speaking to Saul. The words are attributed to Samuel. Furthermore, we're reminded that Samuel is dead. Now he is seen as coming up from the dead. So my belief would be that yes, this is Samuel coming up from the dead, which brings us to a second question. Does that give credence to mediums in contacting the dead? The answer is no, it certainly does not. Such activity is strictly forbidden in the scriptures. Saul is strongly condemned for his actions, 1 Chronicles 10, 13, and 14. So Saul died for his breach of faith. He broke faith with the Lord and that he did not keep the commandment of the Lord and also consulted the medium seeking guidance. He did not seek guidance from the Lord. Therefore, the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. There is nothing in this passage that gives permission to seek the dead for guidance. As we looked at that passage in Deuteronomy chapter 18, it talks about necromancy, it talks about mediums, it talks about divination, it talks about a whole host of things. I'm not going to reread it. But it would cover everything that we would put under categories such as horoscopes, Ouija boards, tarot cards, any way in which people seek to find out about the future apart from the Word of God. All such things are forbidden to us as people of God. We are to content ourselves with the Word of God. We are to seek God's leading and direction, 
We are to seek his instruction. We are to listen to his word. Period. Period. And we should have nothing to do with all those other things that I just mentioned, Ouija boards and horoscopes and all the like, crystal balls, you name it. Let me also address something else that I think is very pertinent to us. Because you can walk into almost any Christian bookstore and find books on the shelves written by people who claim to have died and gone to heaven and come back, or claim to have died and gone to hell and come back to tell us what it's like. All such things are forbidden for us. That is not to be read, that is not to be believed, that is not to be followed. If you want to know what heaven is like, read the Bible. If you want to know what hell is like, read the Bible. That's the only place of which you can find authoritative teaching on what happens after a person dies. All this other stuff is totally unacceptable. Thirdly, why would God refuse to answer Saul when Saul was seeking the Lord's guidance, when he inquired of the Lord and the Lord did not answer by dreams or by Urim or by prophets? Why didn't God speak to Saul? Answer, it was God's judgment upon Saul for repeatedly refusing to hear the word of God. Saul had been given many privileges and opportunities God had spoken to Saul, and Saul repeatedly had refused to do what God told him to do. So fourthly, if God would refuse to speak to Saul through legitimate means, why would God choose to speak to Saul through an illegitimate means? If God isn't going to answer him by a dream or by Urim or by prophets, why in the world would God allow Samuel to come up from the dead and speak to Saul? The answer is, this is yet still further judgment of God upon Saul. All that Samuel says to Saul is consistent with the judgment that he would already pronounced upon Saul. He refers back to what he would already said in chapter 15. He says, all this is just happening to what you did. And then he goes on to explain how everything in his life is a result of his rejection of the word of God. So this is God's complete judgment upon Saul. Well, now we have to ask, what's the great takeaway for us? What what do we learn from this passage? I remind you, first and foremost, we are to learn of God's justice and what he is doing in the nation of Israel and why Saul is being removed, and all that's very, very important. But but what do we need to think about our own relationship to God? Well, I would submit to you that, first of all, we are to be very fearful of a continual refusal to listen to the word of God. We should be very, very fearful of a continued refusal to listen to the Word of God, especially especially the call to salvation. You may not always have that chance to exercise faith in God. 
Isaiah 55, 6, that we use as our call to worship, said, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. He can't always be found. He isn't always near. He doesn't always strive with people. He doesn't always bring conviction. There are some extremely strong passages in Scripture that have incredible warning for those who have heard repeatedly and repeatedly refuse to listen. Let me just give you some. Proverbs chapter 1. Because I have called and you refuse to listen, I have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. Because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then you will call upon the Lord, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. In Corinthians it says, Behold, today is the day of salvation. If you are here this morning, and you have never placed your faith or trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet you have heard the gospel message over and over and over again, I implore you, repent. Put your faith and trust in the Lord. You may never ever feel that way again. You may never ever have that opportunity again. God's judgment is such that he may close the door. Don't put it off. Don't put it off. In addition, there are many warnings, both corporately and individually, about refusing to hear the word of God. Israel often went through periods of time in which God was silent and did not speak to Israel. Uh, we started in 1 Samuel, if you remember, there's a reference to God speaking to Samuel, and it says the word of God was rare in those days. The word of God was rare in those days. He didn't often speak. It was because of the position that was the condition that Israel was in. God gives, again, severe warnings. Amos, chapter 8, verses 11 and 12 say this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. They shall not find it. One of the ways that God brings judgment upon a people is that he removes the word of God from them. That's a scary thought. I don't know the future. I'm not a prophet. But I do know that if the church, Big C, those people that profess to be believers, those people that profess to be followers of God, if they don't want to hear the word of God, 
If they don't want to sit under its teaching, eventually God will take his word away from them. That can be persecution. That can come in laws. That can come in many different ways in which God's word is just taken away. You don't want it, God says, then you don't get it. The book of Jeremiah is filled with those thoughts. It says, I will give to you shepherds that you deserve. Meaning, I will give you spiritual leaders that are going to be in keeping with what your desires are. If you don't want to hear the word of God, then I'll give you spiritual leaders who won't give you the word of God. Those are sobering thoughts. Those are difficult ideas. We're to get a sense of how <clears throat> devastating it is if God refuses to speak. Conversely, <clears throat> how blessed we are that God speaks to us. What a privilege it is for us to be able to have the Word of God, to be able to open the Word of God, to be able to search the Word of God, to be able to study the Word of God, to know what the future holds, to know about heaven, to know about hell, not have to rely on these other books and other places. So we need to guard our hearts and our attitude towards the words of God. And read it, not simply to satisfy our idle curiosity. Or to read the word of God as being one source of guidance among many. Or out of a force of habit or formal religiosity. But we need to be reading the word of God in order to obey it, to follow it. What do you do when you read things in the Word of God that you don't want to follow? When you read things in the Word of God and you simply say, well, I don't like that, I'm not going to do that. It's dangerous. We should be aware of the false comfort to those who reject the Word of God. Initially, Saul is terrified by what he hears. But the medium, she comforts him. He says it'll be okay. Encourages him to eat, and he goes away. There are so many voices that tell us, you don't need to listen. You don't need to believe that. You don't need to trust in Christ. There are so many ways, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We need to understand what a blessing it is to have the Word of God, to have it abundantly. Saul, in the early days, despised Samuel because Samuel was telling him the word of God. And they parted. And as I said, Saul never sought Samuel's advice again until Samuel had died. Until Samuel had died. Listen. Listen while you have the opportunity. Listen while there are faithful people preaching and teaching the Word of God. Don't get to a place where it's taken away. And then you say, oh, I wish I would have listened. Oh, I wish I would have paid attention. Oh, I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish. Those are sad state of affairs. whole nation is going to be 
suffering as a result of Saul's decisions. His sons will die. The nation will go into battle. And they are going to succumb to the Philistines. But of course, God's going to raise David up. And those are the weeks to follow. But this morning, the sobering thought to reject the word of God can result in God withholding his word. Let us pray. Almighty God, help us to delight in your word. Help us to quickly repent when we read your word of those things that are displeasing to you. Lord, may we seek your word not out of idle curiosity, but as a real source of guidance and direction. And when we hear and read of things that we do not want to obey or follow, give us a spirit of repentance. Lord, uh, we yield. We acknowledge that your way is best and right and holy and good. Uh, Lord, guard us from a rebellious spirit and seeking wisdom and guidance in other places. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.